I think it is fair to say that today is a special and significant day in the life of our church. From this day forward, I get to introduce myself as my name is Ajay Thomas. I am one of the pastors at Seven Mile Road Church, and that is a great joy, a glad uh, reality for our hearts to understand and embrace. It is a gift from God that God has raised Binu to be an elder and a pastor here at this church. A few days ago, Binu resigned from his job that he had held for eight years in order that he might give himself to this work and give himself for you. And so you ought to see what a grace from the Lord it is that God would so place a desire in this man's heart that he would take this step in order to fulfill this call that God has placed on his life. In light of what we are calling Binu to do today and what we are charging him with and commissioning him with, I think it is entirely appropriate for us to consider again the nature of Christian ministry and what it is that we are setting Binu apart to today, right? To do that, we are turning this morning to 2 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. If it's the black Bible in your pews, it's on page 995. It's the passage that Amy read for us, and it'll also be shown on the screen behind me. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13, there is some instruction there that we need to hear, particularly on a day like today, as we set apart and commission this man for Christian ministry. 2 Timothy is this letter in the Bible. The Bible is one big book that has 66 smaller books within it. And one of these books is called 2 Timothy. It's actually a letter written by a pastor named Paul to a young church planter or to a young pastor in a church plant named Timothy. And when he writes in chapter 2, what you're going to see is that Paul is going to instruct and encourage this young man new in his ministry with what it will take with what it will look like, and with what it is for, right? As you enter into ministry, Timothy, as you do this work, here's what it's going to take, here's what it's going to look like, and here's what it's for. And so I think that's entirely appropriate as we consider these 13 verses for Binu in his heart to be thinking, as I have been called to pastoral ministry, here's what that's going to take, here's what that's going to look like, and here's what it's for. But I do want to say this at the outset as well, which is that this passage of Scripture is certainly not just for him, but certainly has application for all of us. Because thankfully, the beautiful reality within Christianity is that it is not just pastors who have been called to Christian ministry. All those who belong to Jesus are called to serve Jesus. And so every Christian is in full-time ministry. We get paychecks from different places. But every Christian has been called to full-time ministry. And so all of us ought to be hearing 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13, and asking ourselves, if we are to serve Jesus, what will serving Jesus take? What will serving Jesus look like? And what is serving Jesus for? What's it going to take? What's it going to look like? And what's it for? Okay? Keep those three thoughts in your mind. I'm going to pray for a moment just to ask the Lord to help us in this time in his word, and then we'll consider 2 Timothy 2 together. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do give you thanks for your precious word. We are not groping in the darkness, wondering about God, for you in your grace have revealed yourself to us. It is your desire to be known, and so you have made yourself known to us. As we consider your word now, we ask for the Spirit's help. These words will have no effect on us, no meaning to us, no impact on our lives unless you come and do a special work by your Holy Spirit. 
Come and give power to these puffs of air from my mouth, that they might be transformed to be the word of God. Come be with your people's ears and hearts and eyes and minds, that they might see and hear and believe and understand your word, and then grant them the grace to orient their lives in accordance with it. Come show us Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. So here's our first thought as we consider 2 Timothy 2 on a day like today. It is, what will serving Jesus take? For Binu has been called to pastoral ministry for all who believe in Jesus and live in Christian ministry. What is this going to take? And Paul begins this passage in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 with these words. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Hear that again. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, Paul is this older pastor. In fact, by the time he's writing 2 Timothy, he's close to the end of his life. In chapter 4, we won't read there now, he's actually going to say, listen, I've, I've run my race, I've finished my course, I've fought the good fight, now waiting for me is a crown, I'm done. My life is being poured out, it's close to an end. And so this older, seasoned, grisly, you know, veteran pastor is writing to the rookie, to the new guy on the block, to the new guy in ministry, and he's telling him, listen, here's what it will take. In fact, I want you to know that when Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus, what Timothy's ministry is basically is inherited a very bad church plant. There was a church plant much like ours, just a few years old, much like ours, in a major city, much like ours, except the time and place was in Ephesus, and this good church plant over some time had turned bad. Everything that could go wrong went wrong in this church. If it was our day, this church would be on some talk show, on Jerry Springer or, or something like that. I mean, everything that could go wrong in this church plant did. The leaders who were preaching from the front were corrupt leaders who were looking to pocket gain. They made the televangelists on TV look like godly saints. That's how corrupt these men were. They were trying to line their pockets, and as they were doing so, preaching all kinds of wicked and false doctrine. There was not just problems from the pulpit, but in the pews in this church, there was fighting going on among the men. Men would come to service and be pounding on one another. There was women who would come to church to flaunt themselves and parade themselves and see if they could get someone to notice them. I mean, everything about this church had become a mess. Issues with money, issues with relationships, issues within families, everything about them had begun to disintegrate and fall apart. Conflict all over the place, bad doctrine all over the place. And Timothy, Timothy's a young guy, maybe in his 30s. And he's been called to not just go to this church, and as you read through the letters to Timothy, you get this sense that Timothy wants to get out of Dodge. As soon as he could, he would want to catch the first train out if he could. And yet Paul is going to charge this man to stay put to silence the false teachers, to correct the bad doctrine, to mend the relationships, to call the men to be godly, to help the women be godly, to fix the problems, to fix the issues, to repair the damage, to restore the beauty, and make this a healthy church. In fact, next week, we're going to begin a series on the book of 1 Timothy for the next few months and consider that more closely. But what I want you to hear is, if you read through the letters, it becomes quickly apparent to you that this is no small challenge that young Pastor Timothy has been entrusted with. It's no small task 
that he's got to get in there and fix everything about this church. And when Timothy's tempted to bail, in light of the difficulty of this ministry, this is why Paul begins, as he does in 2 verse 1, by saying, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's way of saying this. Timothy, if you're going to be in Christian ministry, if you're going to stick around and do this work, you're going to need to be strong. Except it's not the modern, empty, psychobabble pep talk we would give one another. You can do it, buddy. We believe in you. You can get this done. None of that. It's Paul saying, Timothy, I know who you are. I know you're a coward by nature. I know you would want to run. I know you're young and the older people intimidate you. I know all that about you. And I'm telling you, Timothy, you can't do this. And that would be much like what we would hear. We would say to Binu, Binu, what we have charged you to today, you cannot do. Or Seven Mile Road Church, what we call you to do, of believing the gospel, living in community, going on mission, you cannot do. I mean, we've tried, right? And, and we've seen how hard it is to love our neighbors and engage our city and work for the redemption of our culture. These things you cannot do. And so what Paul says is, you need to be strong, but he says you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. If you're going to do this, here's what it's going to take. You need power from Jesus. What Paul's calling this young minister to is, if you're going to get this done, there's got to be this desperate God-reliance in your soul. There's got to be this utter, I cannot get this done reality in your mind that translates into this complete God-dependency. You must be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to do this, you've got to have power from Jesus, and that would be true for us all, right? If we are going to love this city and see people come to know Jesus, we need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If our smaller community leaders, our GCM leaders, are going to get 10 and 12 people to actually rally around them to share their lives openly and transparently and be on mission to this city, you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If our Sunday school teachers are going to take these kids, and I've seen these kids, and get them to hear the gospel and believe the gospel and grow in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they're going to need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to build up the courage to walk across the street and befriend your neighbor or do the things that God has called you to do in this life, in this city, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Christian ministry will take nothing less than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's what it's going to take, here's the second thing. What will it look like? If what it takes for us to do Christian ministry is the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus Christ, the second question we ought to ask is, what will it look like? What will this Christian ministry look like? And to see that, you're going to have to read what Paul says in verses 3 through 6. Before I get to verse 3, I don't want to skip over what he says in verse 2 because tucked away is this beautiful principle. Listen to what he says in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
right? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's what Paul's saying. Before he gets into the meat of what he wants to say in verses 3 through 6, what he wants to say is, Timothy, if you're going to be in Christian ministry, part of what this means is that what I have passed on to you, you pass on to others who will be able to pass it on to still more. I want you to hear that again. He's saying if you're going to be in Christian ministry, what it's going to take is you will pass on to others who will be able to pass on to others what I have passed on to you. What Paul's saying is inherent in Christian ministry is this call to multiply yourself over and over and over again so that your influence can long last even your life. Right? When Paul's writing this, he's coming to the end of his life. He's, he's going to be dead in a few weeks. Furthermore, in chapter 4, we find out that Timothy is actually going to be shipped out of Ephesus and sent somewhere else. There's more ministry for him to do. And so with the departure of Timothy and the leaving of Paul from this earth, it only makes sense for Paul to now become quickly aware. If our ministry is going to have any ongoing impact, you must entrust to faithful men who will teach to others what I had entrusted to you. Paul is basically saying what Jesus had already said, which is, go and make disciples, right? So I want you to hear this, not just for Binu as a pastor, for everyone who calls themselves a Christian, your charge from God is to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. That's your charge. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing Christian ministry and mission. The charge is to make disciples who will make disciples. You see, what's amazing about Paul is he's sort of got four generations downstream in mind as he does ministry. He's not just thinking, I'm going to invest in Timothy. He's thinking, I'm going to invest in Timothy, who's going to invest in people who will be able to invest in people. So that even when I'm gone and with the Lord Jesus, and even when Timothy's out of Ephesus, what I have entrusted to him, he has entrusted to faithful men who will teach others also. So Christian... If you're here, if you belong to Jesus, do you see your life that way? Are you discipling people that way so that you might make disciples who will in turn make disciples? This is what Christian ministry is, Paul says. But then he gets to the meat of what he wants to say in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And what he's going to say is, if we know what it's going to take, it's going to take the strengthening that comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. And we want to know what it's going to look like. He uses three metaphors to begin to describe it to us. In verses 3 through 6, you see these metaphors. It's soldier, athlete, farmer. You want to know what Christian ministry is? It's the life of a soldier. It's the life of an athlete. It's the life of a farmer. Consider the first one with me. Here's what he says. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So here's what he's saying. If what it's going to take to do this is grace, what is it going to look like? Well, consider what a soldier's life is, and then you begin to see what Christian ministry in general or pastoral ministry specifically, is going to be like. What it is, is a call to share in suffering. Share in suffering, he says, like a good soldier. Christian ministry is done and is a call to share in suffering. I want you to hear that. Christian ministry is not done in this serene, 
safe, sterile environment. The world around us is broken. People are broken. And so Christian ministry is always done in the midst of muck and mess. It's always done in the midst of tragedy and death and sin and shortcoming. It's always done in the midst of weakness and sorrow and suffering of untold measures. And Paul is saying, that's what I'm inviting you to. You want to be in Christian ministry, share in suffering like a good soldier. You know how a soldier's life is filled with hardship and suffering? If there was a soldier who didn't particularly like suffering, you'd say find a new profession. Because suffering, hardship, difficulty, this comes with the job. And so, Paul is saying, so it does with Christian ministry. There can be no Christian ministers who are not given to suffering because your call is to share in suffering. I want you to hear this. The man who's writing this, Paul, is one who knew suffering particularly well. In one place in the scriptures, Paul gives his brief resume of his acquaintance with suffering. And as you hear it, you, you begin to realize this man never visited a city where he wasn't threatened or beat up or persecuted or imprisoned. In one place, he describes his ministry like this. Just hear what Paul's account is with me. This is what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger, in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure of me on my anxiety for all the churches. That's Christian ministry. And Paul's saying, I'm inviting you to come and share in that. You hear that? That resume of beatings and stonings and whippings and imprisonment and shipwreck and hunger and people cheating you and, and danger in the cities and danger in the wilderness. And, and not to mention, oh, by the way, the actual burden of ministry and anxiety for the churches. Share in all of that. That's what the call to Christian ministry is. In fact, as Paul is writing 2 Timothy, he's locked up in a jail cell penning these words. And so you ask yourself, okay, what thinking person is going to voluntarily walk themselves into that? Who's going to receive an, an invitation to share in suffering? Who's going to sign up for something like that? Who's going to willingly walk into harm's way? Here's the point. Here's why the metaphor makes so much sense. I know an entire class of people that do that. Soldiers do that all the time. Soldiers are people who willingly and voluntarily sign up for suffering. Soldiers are people who believe in a cause so greatly they do not count their lives too valuable to be offered for the cause of this mission. Soldiers are people who love something so sincerely they don't even count their lives too great a sacrifice to fulfill a mission. And Paul's saying, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago, I was talking to Richard, who goes to church here with us. Richard was a Marine during the Gulf War. And Richard was recounting to me how he and his company were ordered to cross a minefield. And I'm asking this question because I'm a sheltered suburban boy, and I'm asking, how did you do that? Did they come and clear the mines away? 
And he, he looked at me like, like I had three heads. He said, we had a mission. We were given orders. We had no time to wait and have them clear the fields. We went through because we had a mission to do, and we had been given orders, and we prayed the whole way that nothing would explode around us. And I learned something about Christian ministry there. Because Paul's saying, I'm telling you what this life is going to be like. I'm, I'm telling you in advance so that you know, and I'm inviting you to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He also then says, and no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, there's much to tease out from this and much to say. I just want you to hear this. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So he's saying, look, if you're going to be in Christian ministry, you can't get bogged down with that which everyone else gets bogged down. You've got a singular focus and aim to please the one who enlisted you. And I want you to hear this. Please hear me out. Do you know what a privilege it is to consider that we have been enlisted? That's the word he used. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Do you know what a miracle it is that we have been enlisted by Jesus for his work? It's one thing for Jesus to forgive us or save us. It's something even more for him to actually enlist us to his work. If you're here and you hear me preaching and you think of, oh, now i got to try and do Christian ministry, and you hear that as a burden, you don't have the foggiest idea what I'm talking about. Because let me read you a quote from a man named Spurgeon. Because a preacher named Spurgeon says this much better than I could. Hear this quote with me. He says this. He says, I have always felt in my own mind that it was one of the clearest proofs that I had of God's forgiveness of my many sins when I was trusted to preach the gospel. I should think that if a prodigal came back to his father, so Jesus once told the story of a prodigal son who wasted his father's wealth, wasted everything his father owned, and then destitute, he comes back home. He says this, I should think that if a prodigal came back to his father, the old gentleman would kiss him and receive him and rejoice greatly over him. But the next Sunday, the market day, the old gentleman would say, I cannot send young William to market. That would be putting temptation in his way. Here, John, you have always been with me. Go to market and buy and sell for me, for all that I have is thine. William, you stay at home with me. He might not let him see all that he meant, but he would say to himself, Dear boy, he is hardly fit for that great a trust. I love him, but I still hardly dare trust him as much as that. But see what my Lord did with me. When I came home to him as a poor prodigal, he said, here is my gospel. I will entrust you with it. Go and preach it. That should rip our hearts to consider, do you know what Jesus did? He didn't just forgive our sins, though that would have been enough, and zoom us to heaven. He left us here because he was going to enlist us and trust us with his gospel, that we might be trusted by Jesus to do his work and his ministry. And so consider the grace that you have been enlisted by God to be a soldier of his. Well, Paul goes on and he gives another analogy. Let me walk you through it quickly. 
He says, not only be a soldier, but he then says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So his metaphor changes from Christian ministry is not just a call to be like a soldier. It's also a call to be like an athlete. And here's his point. He uses this image of athlete to say in chapter 4, he's going to say, I've run the race. I've finished the fight. Now is waiting for me a crown. And now he's coming to the end of his ministry. He can see the crown in the foreground. And now he's saying to this young man who's beginning his ministry, but as you run, I want you to be sure and be aware, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here's the point of what he's saying. If you're in Christian ministry, run this race well and run it so that in the end you don't get found to be a fraud. Don't run in such a way that you impress everyone, but at the end of the day, you were found to have been a fraud, having been broken all the rules, not receiving the crown. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That metaphor is particularly relevant to us if you've watched the news in this last week, right? One of the most decorated sports athletes the world has ever seen won one competition after another, after another, after another. And yet at the end, stripped away from it all. Because an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And if a man like Lance Armstrong has to give answer to public opinion, how much more a Christian minister of the gospel who will give an account before the Lord? A Christian minister of the gospel is one who will stand before the Lord and one day give an account of whether he ran this race well and if he ran it competing according to the rules. And so the point is, the call is, not just to have fruitful ministries, but to have a faithful life. Our call is not just to have fruitful ministries, for even frauds have followings. Our call is to have faithful lives, so that at the end of the day, we might be the kind of athletes who train and discipline so that we might receive the crown. I'll read you one more quote from a pastor named Richard Baxter. This is what he says. He says, it is an obvious error for all to see in those ministers of the church who make such a wide gulf between their preaching and their living. They will study hard to preach exactly and yet study little or not at all to live exactly. They are loath to misplace one word in their sermons, yet they think nothing of misplacing affections, words, and actions in the course of their lives. Oh, how curiously I have heard some men preach and how carelessly I have seen them live. So Paul's exhortation is, if you're in Christian ministry, you've got to be an athlete who runs in such a way that you keep the rules, that you're found not just fruitful, but faithful, that you might receive the crown at the end. He's got one more metaphor for us, and that's in verse 6. He says, Christian ministry is not just like a soldier, and it's not just like an athlete. He then moves on to say, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So he says Christian ministry is not just like soldiers and not just like athletes. It's like farmers, hardworking farmers, who ought to have the first share of the crop. Here's what that means. Many people in our day think of Christian ministry and particularly of pastoring as this easy gig, right? You go into pastoring so that you can get your name on the door or have a special parking spot reserved for you at the church or because it's a job with easy lifting. Most people still don't believe that I work any day outside of Sunday, and so I have to constantly say, no, 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 I really do have a job. I really do do work, 
right? And no one's going to believe you have a job from this day forward. But here's the point. Whatever we might think of it, Paul here says, Christian ministry is like a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What's the life of a farmer like? He's up before the sun. He's down after the sun goes down. He works and toils and labors and, and plows step after step after step after step. There's no one to give him performance reviews. No one to manage his time. No one calling him to get up and do good work. No one he will even know if he slacks off. A farmer has to not just wait for some gust of inspiration to do the work that's required that day. A farmer does work when it's dreary and it's mundane, when no one notices, when no one sees, when no one applauds. In fact, much of his work seems like it's going nowhere and accomplishing nothing. Right? If you know the work of a farmer, you know that they don't immediately see gratification for their work. There's no immediate reward. In fact, he doesn't even know if there's going to be a good harvest for all this labor. And yet day after day, he plows because he needs to plow. And he sows seed because he needs to sow seed. And he waters because he needs to water, hoping that a lifetime of faithful hard work will produce for him a great harvest. He keeps his head down and he pushes one step after another, hoping that he'll be able to one day turn around and see this brilliant harvest blazed behind him. That's the work of a farmer. That's the work of Christian ministry. Not just for a pastor, but for any who would do this work, what seems often mundane work. You visit a neighbor, you share good news, you love someone, you show mercy, and you see no immediate rewards. And yet the call is, it's the hard-working farmer. This is what Christian ministry is. The work of a farmer is often underground, buried, latent, dormant, and much time will pass before its fruit is ever seen. And yet that's the call. This week I heard a story about a man named Luke Short. Hear this story with me. A man named Luke Short, when he was 103 years old, 103 years old, he's sitting one day and he begins to recollect a sermon that he had heard. The sermon was preached by a man named John Flavel, a man hundreds of years ago. And this man, who's 103 years old, began to think through this sermon and suddenly was gripped at the thought of what his life would be like apart from Christ, what it would be like to face judgment without Christ. And so there, sitting there, thinking about this sermon at 103 years old, Luke Short got saved. He repented of his sins. He trusted in Jesus Christ. He became a believer. On his tombstone, it was written... Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. And here's the best part of the story. The sermon that he recollected, the sermon that brought him to faith in Christ, was a sermon that he had heard 85 years before. He was a teenager in England before he had immigrated to America, heard John Flavel preach this sermon, and 85 years later, that seed put in his heart suddenly burst out and brought forth fruit. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This is what Paul says Christian ministry is. You labor, and you toil, and you sweat, and you work. And you do step after step in mundane work, and John Flavel never even saw the harvest that his work had produced. But you do it with this great faith 
that there is this great harvest, this great reward waiting for those who do this faithfully. There's much more we could say about these, but I would say this. If you truly consider these metaphors, and this is why it's right for Paul to end this passage in verse 7 by saying, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's right for you to think about this. I have certainly not this morning teased out all that could be said about these metaphors. It would be right for you to go home and think, why did he say farmer? Why did he say athlete? Why did he say soldier? And what does that mean for me? But it's, it's also right at this point for us to know this is why he began the way that he did. If you're here and you're thinking, you know what? Truth be told, I don't want to share in suffering like a soldier. And I am entangled by many civilian pursuits, let alone thinking of pleasing the one who enlisted me. How on earth am I going to do this well? That's why you need to hear what Paul said again in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're here and thinking, how on earth am I going to be a disciplined man like an athlete who keeps my life faithful at all times, you need to hear again what Paul began this passage by saying, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you think to yourself, how am I going to give myself to this work like a hardworking farmer laboring for things that I don't even yet see, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me end how this passage ends. After he says this, the next words of verse 8, and with this I'll wrap. He says, if you want to know, Timothy, what it's going to take, it's going to take grace. If you want to know what it's going to look like, it's going to look like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. And if you want to know, Timothy, what this is all for, verse 8, I'll just say two words. He says, remember Jesus Christ. What's this all for? It's remember Jesus Christ. Remember the one who suffered for you, like a good soldier, right, who, who endured much suffering for your sake. Remember the one who not only kept his life faithful, but kept it perfect all the way till the end. And then, through his love for you, went to the cross and gave that perfection to you. Remember the one who, like a farmer, toiled and labored, and look at what the labor of his work accomplished for us. And so as you consider, what is this all for? This is for Jesus Christ. Remember him. It's grace that comes from him. It's for him. And then I won't go into it now, but he goes on in the passage to say, listen, I can endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. All of this work and labor is aimed towards one end, which is that others too might know Jesus as I know him now that others too might share in this great salvation. That is where this is all going. So if you're here this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to say to you that perhaps God brought you here this morning so that you might hear again of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in calling a man to an office. Our hope is certainly not in myself, much less so in Binu. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who suffered for us, the one who was faithful and kept the rules for us, the one who toiled and gained a great harvest for his father for us. Our hope is in him. And if you do not know him, then God may have brought you here so that you can begin to search who he is, so that you might consider that Jesus came and has called shepherds even so that you might be a part of his flock, the church.
If you are here and you are a Christian, would you hear me say this as well? I studied through this passage for Binu's sake, but I was rewarded much better than he was. And as I was going this week, I found my heart freshly cut over and over again in considering I don't look like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm faithful like an athlete that's competing according to the rules. I don't know that I'm a hard-working farmer. And so I found myself in repentance and asking again that the Lord would enable me to commit myself to him again. So I would say this to you if you're a Christian. As much as our task this morning is to commit Binu to this work, this is an opportunity for all of you to recommit yourself to Christian ministry. How will you pull this off? by being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, so that you might go from here as good soldiers of his, as athletes of his, as farmers of his, and trusted with his gospel to do his work. May God bless us as we do that. Hear once more his exhortation to us all this morning. His exhortation is, You then, my child, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. O Lord, on this day we give you thanks for these dear brothers and sisters who have gathered here. We pray now that the Holy Spirit himself might help them with a word better than I have preached and that he might cause Second Timothy to come alive in our hearts, that we might consider again Christ and our call in him and to him, that we've been obligated, better yet entrusted by this gracious God to do his work. It is an astounding thing that you should save us. It is even more astounding that you should then enlist us and entrust us with your ministry. Help us to do that faithfully and well. Let men and women this day recommit themselves, recommit themselves to being good soldiers of Christ Jesus, not being entangled by civilian pursuits, seeking to aim to please you. Recommit themselves to being good athletes who are faithful and who live lives that will be rewarded with a crown on the last day. Recommit themselves even today to being hardworking farmers who will see a great harvest through their life. Recommit themselves this day to making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And as we consider all these tasks, we shout with Paul, we need the grace that comes, that strength that comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.